Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me and hope you're all doing well out there in Bulls Nation. An 0-3 week thus far for the Bulls, so one more game to be played this week against the Milwaukee Bucks, but so far the Bulls are winless this week and, and like me, if you are a pro tanker hoping the Bulls can really shore up, their, shore up their draft pick and sort of head towards that top of the draft, you would have been pretty pleased with the, the outcome of the results this week, so... If you're like me, you're very happy in seeing the loss against the Lakers, a team that are sort of hovering around the same draft position that the Bulls are. So obviously we don't like necessarily seeing losses. We like we we do have been enjoying the Bulls winning games this season. I think we all can admit that. But at the same time, if we think long term, getting the best draft pick possible is ideal. So a winless week and an important loss to the Los Angeles Lakers. And joining me today to discuss this week in Bulls basketball is Stefan No of The Athletic. Stefan, thank you for joining me. Yeah, great to be here. First time, I believe, on Bulls HQ. So I'm very excited to have you on, mate. And for me, getting back from a, a couple of days camping, I was expecting to see maybe some you know some trade news with Miritich I was away from reception had no reception at all and I was hoping to keep coming back to some trade news and 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 pretty much got nothing unfortunately but what I did got or what I did get rather was a a nice tank loss for the Bulls against the Lakers and there's a few things that were concerning to me about this game even though the overall result of the game is is pretty much what I wanted to see as as a fan we can get a bit irrational at times and get caught up in the games themselves. And there was a few things that I wanted to talk about with you. And um, being probably one of the best uh, Bulls riders out there, I'm pretty sure you're going to have some good answers for me. So hopefully you're you're ready to rip in and, and yeah, I guess make me uh, a more informed fan. Um, I'm sure you're going to be able to do that. But uh, the things I wanted to talk about today were the big man rotation, the, the point guard rotation now that Chris Dunn is out as well as Zach Levine and, and just his general game since he's been back. So let's start with the big man rotation and and what you've seen from that because I've got some concerns on that. I'll, I'll, I'll put forward my view a little bit later on, but I, I'm still of the view that the Bulls have a front court logjam and I've seen that play out this week. And, but how do you feel about that? Oh, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, Meritage has been their best player, uh, either Meritich or Markin, and you can make a case for either guy, but Meritich is only playing 25 minutes a game, actually under 25 minutes a game, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, like, the Bulls want to play him more for a multitude of reasons. I mean, even if you are one of these people that want the Bulls to tank games, you yeah. need to play Meritich more just to get his trade value up, and um, 
Let's see what uh, Markkanen's at 30 minutes per game. I mean, I'd like to see that go up too to like around, you know, 32 or 33. I know they're trying to keep his minutes down because he's a rookie and he's had these back spasms, but that still seems pretty low. So I think you can definitely trade either one of uh, Miritich or Lopez and still open up a bunch of minutes for these big men who have been playing amazing for the team. Yeah, and I mean, to your point, like the, against the Lakers, Miritich only had the 24 minutes Against the the uh, Sixers, I believe he only had the the twenty five minutes, and against the Pelicans, he only had twenty five minutes as well. So to your to your point, he, he's well, Hoiberg is using him pretty consistently in terms of the minutes range. When he is playing well, he I guess it depends when he uses him. And, and against the Lakers, Miritich pretty much closed the entire fourth quarter, played the entire twelve minutes, and, and, and that was the correct decision given that Miritich had the fourteen points in the final period there, but. The reason why I wanted to talk about this is it's, it's not not even so much about Miritich. It's maybe even Portis has been forcing me to think about this more often. And, and, and Bobby Portis has been having a strong season, probably an underrated season. He's obviously still got some flaws, but he too is only getting like the consistent, you know, 20 to 22 minutes because I guess of that log, uh, front court logjam that we sort of talked about. And, and to me, that was quite striking in this game against the Lakers because he he played, I guess, 70 minutes in that fourth period, I believe, but he didn't close the game, and I felt maybe he should have because I, I thought he had a really strong game against the Lakers there, and for, for much of that first half, he was the one that really sort of kept the Bulls in it, but he, Hoiberg felt the need to play Lowry with, with uh, Miritich at the end there, and, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad decision. I think anytime you go to that that particular lineup, it's a good one. But at the same time, it sort of speaks to the fact that the Bulls do have too many guys up there in the front court. And what what have you what have you made of Bobby Portis? And do you think he's someone that I guess should be getting more than the you know the twenty minutes or so that he's sort of receiving at the moment? Yeah, Portis has not really gotten a ton of attention this year, but you're right. I mean, he yeah he's he's definitely been playing a lot better, and um, his three-point ability I'm really impressed with how much he's grown in that he's shooting 36% on the year and he was Mm -hmm. not a guy coming out of college who was thought of to be a three-point shooter at all I mean he barely shot threes in college and his first year in the league uh, that shot was extremely slow release Uh, he's really sped it up quite a bit so props to him for working on his game still we know like he's a huge defensive liability out there but he does need to play more to learn how to defend and uh, just get more well-rounded. I mean, I don't think there's a good answer for Hoiberg, though. He just has too many talented guys. He tried a a three-big lineup against the Pelicans, which I thought was Mm -hmm. really interesting, where he had Miritich at small forward, he had Markkanen at the four, and uh, I think Robin Lopez was the five, and that was just a total disaster. Uh, The Pelicans were able to shoot a bunch of wide-open threes because there were just too many big men out there that couldn't get out on the perimeter. So that's not really a solution and Felicio isn't playing at all. So, uh, yeah, I think the front office really needs to help Hoiberg out here and kind of clear out that logjam. I think you're right there. Yeah, and, and just so it's clear, I'm not necessarily being critical of Fred Hoiberg because I don't think he's got a, a favorable solution in this particular issue itself. I mean, you've got four players there that probably are on most rosters around the NBA would, would be playing 25 minutes a game. Certainly, Miritich deserves to be playing more than 25 minutes a game. But, like, just focusing on Portis against the Pelicans, he only had that 14 minutes, but uh, against the Sixers, Portis was really good. It had the 22 points, 11 rebounds, but only could only could play the 25 minutes against the Lakers. As I mentioned before, he was probably one of the better players and could only get 22 minutes posting 16 points and nine rebounds. So it's as much about Miritich as well and sort of driving up his, 
his trade value in the fact that he's he's a starting caliber player that needs more minutes. But um, it, it's as much about Bobby Portis, maybe even Larry Markner as well, as it is about Nikola Mirotic. But for whatever reason, I found this, I guess, this, this theme, I guess, really striking to me in this Lakers game because we didn't see any of Robin Lopez at all in the fourth quarter. And, and I guess that's a continuing trend. Hoybeck doesn't really close with Robin Lopez and, and will, well, has been, I guess, more prone to using Markner and Mirotic there for those spacing elements. But I think I mentioned this on my podcast last week, but I think one of the reasons why you need to trade Miritich, not only for from a tanking perspective, is the fact that he's a starter and he's being used as a bench player and he's too redundant and the Bulls do have too many guys up front. So yeah, for whatever reason, this was really striking to me in the Lakers game. But the other thing that really popped out to me in this Lakers game and just generally this week, I guess, has been the Bulls point guard rotation without Chris Dunn now. I don't know how you feel about Chris Dunn, so maybe I'll ask you that up front, but how, how have you seen Chris Dunn and sort of where would you peg him at the moment in terms of, of standings or rankings within or among NBA point guards? Uh, uh, I mean, I would say he's probably, I don't know, somewhere around the 30th best point guard. So, I, you know, he's, he's like a fine starter. He's definitely way better than what I anticipated coming into the year. Uh, you know, I, I made a mention... We're recording this on Saturday, and there's this college game between uh, Trey Young and Colin Sexton today. I made, I made this tweet that uh, Bulls fans should really watch those guys because those guys have a chance to be dynamic point guards, like top ten point guards in the league. I, I don't really think Chris Dunn has that ability, but you know, if he is the point guard on the next contending team, I, I don't think it's going to be like a glaring weakness or anything. Yeah, I mean that's fair, and the reason why I wanted to ask you that because I, I wanted to set the table a little bit because. I sort of agree with you in terms of where I would place Dunn. Um, I, I certainly don't view him necessarily as a an average starting point guard at this point. He may grow to that, but at the moment, he's probably on the lower end of NBA starting point guards. But even if he is at that point, it's stark just how how different the level of Chris Dunn being at, out, out there at point guard is versus Jerry and Grant and obviously the flow-on effect that has. So... I know you were at the Pelicans game, I believe, um, and I would I would like to get your your take on on uh, on what you saw from Jerry in game in that specific game because it's sort of a trend this entire week or just generally every time he started at point guard this season. But the Bulls have really, uh, I guess I'll use the word tank, but um, they've really tanked it hard when when Dunn has been out at point guard. Yeah, I mean the Bulls definitely should have won that Pelicans game on Monday. They were up by eighteen at one point. Yeah. Uh, they were up 13 in the last four minutes. And then Jaron Grant turned the ball over five times in the fourth quarter in both overtimes. He Grant definitely lost in that game. And you talk to Hoiberg, and he gets this like, very wistful look in his eye when he talks about Chris Dunn, how much he misses him, because it's so obvious how terrible the Bulls' offense has been with Grant. I mean, the whole point of Hoiberg's offense is read and react. You move really quickly, get the ball down the court, and you make quick decisions I tweeted out this video of Grant from uh, this Lakers game where he got it across half court, dribbled 17 times, uh, took like 16 seconds off the shot clock, and then just took a long two fadeaway that he missed. And he does he does this over and over again. Yeah. He misses like, I mean, he just doesn't see these easy passes. That's the reason why his assist turnover ratio is so good, because he never takes any risks. And uh, mm-hmm. if you, there's such a huge difference in opinion between fans who actually watch the games and fans who just look at his stats, because his stats look great, but I mean, there's no way you can watch him and think that like what he's doing out there is good for the offense. 
And the Pelicans game is a really good example of that because his stat line was really, really good. I think he had the the, the, the double-double there. But um, it, it, even beyond his stat line, for most of the game, he was quite good. But in that last few, I guess, well, I was going to say five minutes, but it was more than that given the, that it went to two overtimes. But over that last uh, couple overtimes and even in that fourth quarter when the pressure was starting to ramp up, we saw, the I guess, the real negatives of having Grant out there at point guard in those closing moments because when the, the pressure sort of starts to ratchet up, he, you can just sort of see that fear growing on his face, I guess, the way he sort of starts pounding the ball, starts making bad decisions and these sorts of things. And and to your point, for whatever reason, I don't know why this has happened this season, but Jerry and Grant has sort of almost put a trademark on the on the fall away jumper. He's sort of trademarked that to a degree. So it seems like it's his go-to shot and it's the only shot he can create is his fall away mid-range shot. And I, I kind of hate that shot, to be honest with you. But it's 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 been stark having Jerry and Grant out there versus Chris Dunn. And we say that even though Chris Dunn himself isn't necessarily an efficient offensive player. He's not someone that well, really, I guess, is uh, can take care of the ball. He's very turnover-prone. He has all these flaws, but even him, at his current status, is a much better option than Jerry and Grant. But the flow-on effect from that is that the Bulls are also relying on someone like Ryan Archidiakono, who I, I make fun of on Twitter. I, I like some of the aspects of his game, but really, he's not an NBA. He's not really an NBA player, and he can make a few hustle plays here and there, but... This is the sort of impact you can have when you remove your starting level point guard. Do, do, does Hoiberg have any options, other options at all apart from relying on Grant and Archie Diakono? I don't know if you saw this play uh, from Jeff Hornacek the other day where he caught the ball at half court and then just like chucked up a three-pointer that missed by a couple feet. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. It got me thinking like, if Hoiberg just got on the court, I think he would by far be the best point guard in the system at like 45 <laughs> years old. So they yeah. really don't have a great option. Actually, their best uh, lineup uh, in this last game was when they played Nwaba and Valentine at point guard. So they benched Grant, they benched Levine, and they benched Archidiakono. And I think they got like three straight three-pointers out of that group. They're really moving the ball well. I mean, all those guys that were on the court at that time are extremely unselfish. So mm-hmm. they're just passing the ball around and um, you know getting the defense on its heels and getting wide open shots. So I kind of like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, Cameron Payne, he's actually, like, shooting around. He's doing everything, I think, in practice except for full contact stuff. But, I mean, I think he's going to be coming back here probably close to right after the All-Star break. I don't think the Bulls are going to pick anyone up. They're probably just going to wait for Payne and Dunn to come back here. Yeah, I think you're right. And and he was in full dance mode against the Lakers. In it, in it, so um, he can't be too far away given he's up off, off the bench and um, celebrating pretty hard. So... I'm sure Cameron Payne will get his opportunity soon, but do you, do you think Jerry Grant is going to be a ball post the trade deadline? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to want to trade for him. Like, he has no value. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was hopeful maybe um, maybe they could get something for him, maybe a second rounder, but that's probably wishful thinking, I, I guess. they Obviously, the Bulls, uh, I guess, went based on reports, you, they, you can sort of hear or, or read between the lines that they want to rid themselves of Grant to get some more uh, minutes into Cameron Payne, but it kind of it kind of appears to be another season where they're going to have three or four options at point guard, none of them necessarily being something that you're going to write home about. But um, yeah, what, what, what has also happened with this point guard rotation and the fact that Dunn has been removed is we've seen a lot of Zach Levine at point guard, and this isn't something that worked really well in Minnesota, and granted... Zach Levine was quite young when this occurred, and and he's not, I guess, a naturalized point guard. But the Bulls have been using him 
more so as the lead guard on the offense. So I wanted to get your take on what you've seen from from uh, Levine at when he's been the primary initiator uh, at point guard and particularly in pick and roll. So I've been pretty surprised with um, how well Levine has passed in pick and roll. And I think part of that is just playing with Robin Lopez. I mean, he's such a great pick and roll player. He's a huge target. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's one of these guys who actually sets the pick. Most big men, they're not setting a great pick. They're just looking for the ball. They're slipping the screen too early. But Lopez really gets a body on guys. So I, every single, I mean, even Jaron Grant looks awesome when he plays pick and roll with uh, Lopez, yeah. uh, which yep. really tells you about his value. Um, as far as like uh, Levine playing point guard in general, I I remember reading some stuff from Hoiberg in the past couple games where he's actually said that Levine is overpassing a little bit, and then he's compensating for that by taking uh, really bad shots. We've seen him take a lot of pull-ups, uh, a lot of long twos, contested shots. I mean, he's shooting under forty percent. So he, uh, I don't I don't think he's like a reticent passer, but he's just not passing at the right times uh, with other players on the team and. That's something that, you know, he just got back on the floor. So maybe that will get better as he uh, gets a comfort level with, with his new teammates here. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I constantly have to remind myself that he's only played the seven games since returning from a pretty major injury. He's still on a minutes restriction. So I always have to I'll almost preface myself when I get get into uh, evaluation mode of Zach Levine's game. But I, I guess the reason why I fall into this habit of being somewhat critical about Levine is that what I'm seeing from him thus far hasn't really, I guess, deterred my original, uh, I guess, preconceived assumption of what his ceiling is. And, and to me, that's more of, I guess, a second or third option, depending, you know, starter or non-starter, I guess that's it's almost irrelevant. I, I think he's someone that can play 30 minutes a game, but he hasn't done anything at this point to shatter those preconceived ideas that I did have about his game. Like you said, I have been impressed with his passing in the pick and roll, and particularly with Robin Lopez, and for the reasons you mentioned there. But against the Lakers in that third quarter there, for whatever reason, I thought he had a lot of tunnel vision, and the Bulls were really running a lot of things through Zach Levine in that quarter to the point where he had eight field goal attempts, I think, in about seven and a half minutes. And when I checked the stats, in pretty much the same amount of time, nine and a half minutes, Larry Markin only had the one shot. So... Uh, Levine had the eight shots, only two, uh, five points, I believe, and Markkinen only had the one shot in nine and a half minutes. So to me, that was something that was pretty glaring to me, and I'm not liking it. And do you think there, I guess this, this shot selection issue that Zach Levine has at the moment, how much do you think about, or how much of that do you think it relates to him sort of being rusty and trying to come back and just trying to get, I guess, shots up just to get into rhythm? versus how much of that is him, I guess, feeling himself and, and, and I guess, uh, wanting to be the star, wanting to be the franchise-level guy here in Chicago? I think he's definitely forcing shots because of his minutes limit. And also, I mean, Hoiberg is trying to get him a lot of good looks um, to get him acclimated to the offense. Like, when the Bulls started the second half against the Lakers, they ran the exact same play three straight times where uh, Jaron Grant would set a cross-screen for Robin Lopez to get him some space to come up and set a pick and roll for Levine. And he, I mean, there's multiple options on that play, but Levine just shot it three straight times. He shot three straight jumpers and he made two of them. And the third one was a really bad uh, contested three that he bricked pretty badly. But, you know, like I, I really don't mind if Levine plays bad. In fact, like I think Bulls fans should kind of root for him to play bad because the Bulls have already stated on the record that they're going to match whatever offer 
Levine gets in free agency. So, I mean, if he plays really poorly for the rest of the season, that's just going to hurt his uh, value, and that's going to open up more of the cap for the Bulls to sign other guys and you know get him a lower contract or whatever. So uh, it's, it's kind of a win-win for the Bulls in that regard. And uh, I mean, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Like, I had a lot of concerns about Levine coming into this season. And um, I mean, all the flaws that we were kind of worried about are manifesting themselves in this early stretch of games. Yeah, and I mean, you raise a good point there. Like, Zach Levine being bad and, and being predictably bad coming back from a, a, a knee issue is, like I said, predictable. So we shouldn't be too hard on him. But at the same time, uh, I guess whilst it may help from a tanking perspective, I do wonder, and I could be reading into this, and, and there's no real way to, I, I guess, make this uh, more substantive than just you know make, making it very skeptical or, or, uh, on my part. But when I do see him taking this amount of shots, the 17 shots in the 25 minutes that he had against the Lakers, I do wonder how much of that is about him trying to establish himself as the man on this team. And and like you said, the Bulls have been made they've made it very clear that they want to keep Levine around, that they will match. They won't necessarily, obviously, they weren't going to extend him prior to him uh, playing his first game, but it's they've made it very clear that they're going to um, match in free agency. And from Levine's perspective, he, he's made it very clear that he wants to be here and be the man. So I wonder how much about his shot selection is more about him trying to establish himself as the man versus just trying to get back into that rhythm. And, and I wonder what the flow-on effect will be. Maybe not this season, because this season, I guess, a rebuilding year. It's a development year. But that hierarchy between himself and marketing, maybe not so much done, but oh, I wonder how much that's going to be, not a problem, but how they're going to figure that balance out. And and currently, um, I don't think they've got that balance right. And, and, and like I suggested before, with, with marketing only having the one shot versus Levine having the eight shots in that third quarter, I think the Bulls need to get away from that, that tunnel vision that they've sort of, uh, I guess, been forced into slightly because Dunn being out at point guard. But Levine... To me, I, I guess he's. I don't. I'm not. I'm not necessarily convinced he's a lead guard. How, how do you feel about him? I guess trying to be that franchise level guy. I think that he can fit really well into this offense, and I don't think he necessarily needs to be the man. I mean, the thing yep. that worked so well with Hoiberg's offenses at the college level was that it was very egalitarian, and that has been why the Bulls have been playing so well in this stretch when they've gotten Miritich and Nwaba back. Uh, I was looking at the isolation stats the other day. So the first two years that Hoiberg was coaching, the team was around league average in isolation. And this year, they were uh, like 29th in isolation plays. So they run isos less than almost every other team in the league. And since Levine has come back, uh, they've been running a ton more isos with him in particular. That's not something that I really like to see. I mean, like he... If he if he just like plays in the system, he's going to get a lot of open threes. He should be taking a ton of spot ups because that is where he's really skilled at. If you look at his shooting splits, most the the vast majority of his three pointers have been on pull ups, which are terrible shots. I mean, nobody in the league is good at making those shots aside from like Steph Curry. So I think he definitely is forcing things. And if he just lets things come to him in the system, then he's going to look a ton better. Yeah, definitely. And from a usage perspective, a usage percentage at least, he's obviously leading the team at the moment since he's been back. Obviously a small sample, but he does have a 31.6 usage percentage, which is pretty high. And when you compare that to, I guess, previous Bulls and, and maybe even someone like Jimmy Butler, like Jimmy Butler was never anywhere, anywhere close to 31.6% on usage. 
Um, so Zach Levine has come in and he's gunned really hard. And I guess it sort of gives credence to the assumption that he's more of a, a six-man gunner. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think he's probably more suited to be that, I, I won't say 1B, but maybe that perfect second option foil to a really elite offensive player. I think he can be in that. But the way he's played thus far, it sort of get, does give credence to the fact that if he, he was a sixth man, he could come in there and he could gun and, and really you know be that really high usage guy in the minute, his, minutes he does play. But um, at the moment, like I said, it's obviously a small sample. So hopefully he can settle into this offense. But for me, I see him more as a... I guess a Bradley Beal or CJ McCollum type player in the sense, not necessarily in the way that they play, but more as where they fit uh, schematically in the, in the overall offense in the sense or the overall, overall franchise uh, perspective as well as that, as that second guy. And I think he's trying to be, or the Bulls are trying to position him as the Damian Lillard, Lillard of this franchise where I think he's more CJ McCollum. Do, do, do you sort of get where I'm getting at? Yeah, I do. And um, I agree with you. But everybody on this team is being pushed up into a role where they're not quite qualified for uh, just because of the talent level. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if the Bulls draft a stud in the next couple of years, uh, or sign one in free agency, Levine will drop down a spot. But for now, I mean, he's just sucking up shots that uh, Justin Holiday was taking before. And he's certainly a better option than Holiday. Uh, so I, I guess I don't have a huge problem with it for now. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I'm probably being a little bit too critical. I don't have a massive problem with him at the moment. Uh, And maybe I'm projecting too far forward and assuming the worst (laughs) uh, going forward. But um, it's just something I noticed in this Lakers game. But something that was also very clear to me was uh, Denzel Valentine. And he had a really good game against the Lakers. And he's someone that I constantly harp on 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 Twitter, more so because of... uh, certain people out there who are very uh, buoyant about Denzel Valentine. Um, And and that's why I sort of uh, be a little bit stupid about it online. But he's been really (laughs) good for the Bulls uh, for, I guess, the last two months, really. His game's really developed. He's been getting more inside and he's uh, been scoring more inside and looking more of a threat, I guess, than just being a three-point shooter. But he was really good against the Lakers. And uh, what have you been seeing from Denzel, I guess, the last maybe sort of, let's call it four weeks? So we got to timestamp this part so we can tell uh, CBA Fred what part to skip to, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll, uh, I won't let him know. Maybe um, he'll find out organically. Uh, so, yeah, Valentine, uh, he, he's he been pretty good this last stretch of games. Uh, he really saved the Bulls in this Lakers game, keeping it close. Uh, I think that he has gotten very talented at taking these tough pull-up threes that I was just criticizing Levine for. I, I was looking the other day, and he had one of the best percentages in the league. Uh, so that's good. He still like tries to scoop everything from everywhere. He got stuffed on one of those in, in this game. So it's good or bad. I, I know Fred mentioned his uh, CB, Fred, not Fred Hoiberg, <laughs> mentioned <laughs> mentioned how good of a rebounder Valentine is. I think he doesn't get enough credit for that. Yeah, he's excellent rebounder. So he's doing a lot of little things uh, that are yeah. helping the Bulls win. I think his defense is still uh, horrendous, though. So that's always going to be difficult to overcome. Yeah, certainly. And he, he had the 11 rebounds against the Lakers. So he, he definitely um, rebounded the ball strongly there, had the four assists as well, and, and had four three-pointers. And the Bulls hit seven three-pointers in that final period against the Lakers and really got back from that 12-point deficit because of that shooting. And, and Valentine's a big part of that. You mentioned his pull-up threes. And I feel like his pull-up threes are different to, to Zach Levine's in the sense that 
Uh, Valentine's becoming more in transition and he pulls up quite nicely and, and when he's got some wide open room there. And, and I'm pretty confident every time he does that. I never understand why Stacey King is, is always on him for that, even if shooters aren't in place. I think that's a good shot for someone like like uh, Denzel Valentine. He's obviously a good three-point shooter, but Zach Levine to me is more, I guess, pulling up in pick and roll. So I think there is a bit of a difference there. But I have been quietly, uh, quietly impressed with Denzel Valentine to the point where I'm sort of warming to him being a piece going forward, not necessarily a strong piece, but someone that can come off the bench. But um, yeah, I've I've been interested in his development because and I'm not sure if he will ever be a, a plus defender or even an average defender, but if he can be this guy that can come in and shoot threes and do a little bit little bit on the offense in terms of creation, then I think he can be something. But um, yeah, I, I thought I it would be remiss of me not to give him some prompts after that big uh, game he had against the Lakers, given um, how often I am I'm quick to criticize. So uh, I thought I'd get that out there. So props to, to Denzel Valentine. But um Looking forward though, and this has been something that I've been obviously talking about for a few weeks now, and I'm sure you have been over at your podcast as well, but Nikola Mirotic and, and the fact that he's still on this team, <laughs> uh, I, I don't understand why he is, I guess. It, it's, I, I guess it makes sense from a tanking perspective to move on from him. It obviously makes sense from a, an actual rotational perspective to get rid of him at this point, but He's still on the team, obviously, and he needs to be traded, and I'm assuming you agree with that. I wouldn't trade him for, like, nothing. Yeah. Uh, so I think the Bulls are holding out for a first-round pick, and nobody's really willing to give that up yet. And we've seen in previous years that you really have to wait until right before the trade deadline for these deals to get done. So I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what the Bulls are doing here. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And and, and to your point, I I also agree to that. I don't, I don't think they should be just getting rid of him for the sake of it, but... I just wonder how active they are being, and obviously we don't know. We don't know that for sure, but um, I, I guess the results stand to this as well. <laughs> I guess they've started to cool off now that Miritic has himself, uh, I guess, cooled off to a degree that they've still lost the three straight games here, which is good from a tanking perspective, even with Miritic in and playing well, even if he's not hasn't been supernova like he was previously. But I sort of wonder why he's still on the roster, and and this is really bad of me to think this, but. Obviously, when Demarcus Cousins went down yesterday, with with the uh, the torn Achilles there, and whilst that was terrible to see, and and Demarcus was obviously having a huge season, pretty quickly after the injury happened, my thoughts quickly moved to trading Miritich to New Orleans, which is kind of a sick thing to actually think about when you think about it. But um, that's where my brain turned to. So, do you think there is a synergy there between the? the Bulls and the Pelicans in terms of being potential trade partners and, and maybe maybe in the last minute here, maybe sending off Meritage to New Orleans instead of maybe the Utah Jazz or the Detroit Pistons, which have been, I guess, two rumored clubs that have probably been more interested in Meritage than any others. Yeah, I definitely think that could work. I live in New Orleans, so I follow the Pelicans uh, somewhat closely, and they've been a really interesting team. I think they're pretty talented up front, but they have absolutely no depth so any players they can get in there are good. Their cap sheet, I don't have it in front of me or anything, but I know that they are very tight and ownership is also like really cheap. So they would love to unload some contracts. I don't know what assets they have as far as future picks, but um, I'm sure they could come to some sort of agreement, maybe get Omer Sheik back in a Bulls uniform, although he is pretty close to medical retirement from what I hear. But uh, I, I think, yeah, that could be a team that would make it work. 
I believe the Pelicans have all of their picks um, with, within within themselves in terms of they have none outgoing. The only one they do have outgoing is the one the Bulls actually own from themselves or from the Pelicans, I should say, in that Pondexter trade. So I think that's that second rounder is the only pick they have outgoing for quite some time. So I'm not too sure if they'll be willing to part part ways with the first round pick, but like it just for whatever reason for me. Knowing what the Pelicans want to do, and and they and Woj was on 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 Twitter yesterday saying that the the Pelicans still want to push forward with the playoffs, and and I've you know routinely thought someone like Justin Holiday would be a good fit in New Orleans. Now without Demarcus Cousins, suddenly Nikola Mirotic makes a lot of sense there as well. So it's just something that I initially thought about, and and again I've been I've been expecting to uh, record a podcast where there has been some trade use, but that hasn't really, uh, I guess, eventuated at this point. So I, I wonder now if, uh, for whatever reason, the New Orleans Pelicans become a, an option there for Nikola Mirotic and the Bulls. But uh, we shall wait and see. Hopefully it, it materializes fairly quickly. Obviously, the trade deadline is February 8. We're not too far away from that, roughly a week and a half, I guess. So it's uh it's not too far away, but um looking ahead in terms of the tank tracker or just tanking in general, where where do you stand on that? Uh, are you someone that thinks that the tank is dead, or uh, or do you still think there's a there's a serious chance here that the Bulls could get themselves into that top four to top five range in the, in the draft? Uh, top four to top five, I think, is pretty reasonable. Top three, which is uh, really where you want to be in this draft, I think those dreams are kind of shot unless they get really lucky in the lottery again. But um, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I I think it's been really nice to watch the Bulls winning games recently after that three and twenty start. But if you're really looking for the long term health of the franchise, I mean, they really they have to get like a top pick in this draft. Yeah, and they're only one game outside of the top five at the moment. So the the Phoenix Suns. With a seventeen and thirty-two record, they own the fifth worst record, I guess, at this point in, in the Tankathon standing. So the Bulls are only one game behind there, and and only two games behind the Dallas Mavericks there for the fourth spot. So it's not inconceivable to think that they could potentially um, get back into that top four or five range. There's been reports that the Suns are going to be pretty active in free agency and are going to, I guess, try to. Uh, to really, uh, I guess, move forward with their rebuild and try to speed things up. So they're not necessarily going to be a team, I don't think, that's going to be actively tanking for that top pick. And, and the Dallas Mavericks as well, they've never been a team that actively tanked, not with Rick, Rick Carlisle around and, and his ability to, I guess, conjure up lineups that, that can be quite productive out there. So I think the Bulls do have that, that ability to get into that four or five range. But I spoke about this on the podcast last week. I guess you almost have to qualify what you mean by tanking at this point with the Bulls. Because like you said, that it's probably unrealistic unless the lottery balls bounce their, their way that they're going to get a top one or three, one to two, one to three pick. I think that's unlikely, but they can definitely get there in, in the four to five range. So in that range, who are, who are some prospects that you like? I think they should go for a point guard. Um you know, as I said at the top of the show, Trey Young and Colin Sexton, I love both of those guys. And um, this is such an important position in Hoiberg's system. You know, I like I like Dunn. I like that he plays with a lot of pace. But we've talked about this. Uh, Will and I have talked about this on our podcast. He's really not a Hoiberg-style point guard in that ISU mold. So I think that either of those other guys would be a much better fit. And maybe you could put Dunn off the ball. Uh, as a shooting guard, if he continues to develop, um, but I, yeah, I don't think that Dunn should preclude the Bulls from taking one of those guys, and I think that one of them will be available with like a five or six pick. 
Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And I certainly agree that Dunn shouldn't preclude the Bulls from taking a point guard. This is the first year of the rebuild. This is the first, I guess, the first draft after the, the, the rebuild has sort of commenced. So they shouldn't be drafting for fit at all. They should be taking the best player available. And, that, and if that best player happens to be a point guard, then that's who you take and you try to work it out thereafter. But it's funny that you say you, you want a point guard at four or five because I'm sort of all in on, on drafting a big man at that slot, even if it's not DeAndre Ayton, who is obviously probably going to be the best big man in this draft, or certainly the one taken at the top of this draft. So I'm pretty in on Jaron Jackson Jr. at this point. And, and the reason why I'm in on him is his combination with Larry Markinen, um for the next 10 years really is enticing to me. How do you feel about Jaron Jackson Jr.? I know you obviously just mentioned that you wanted a point guard, but if the Bulls happen to sort of fall into him there at five, how would you feel about that? So I will say that I've not watched a ton of him, but I know that uh, Bulls Twitter has a love affair with him that, you know, he can shoot the ball. He's a good defender and whatnot. Uh, I would say, so this draft, last year's draft was a point guard heavy draft. That was really the year yeah. to take one. This year's draft is more of a big man draft. And I don't really like from a philosophical standpoint, taking a big, just because you look at the way the NBA is trending and the Celtics have really proven this, that wing players, interchangeable wing players are by far the most valuable position, and that is really the direction of the league going forward. If you take a guy like, let's say, Mo Bamba, uh, who is like very, very much just a five, that guy is just is not going to have as much impact on teams, and you're already seeing that centers in the NBA just do not have a lot of value. So I'd really like to see the Bulls take someone. I mean, I said a point guard, which is fine. You You still need a point guard, but some position one through four and stay away from guys who can only play four or five. I mean, that's fair. I certainly understand that perspective and, and, and you make complete sets and, sense and, and I'm not necessarily convinced 100% at this point that Larry Markman's best position will be at power forward given what you just mentioned about the league sort of, I guess, moving to more of a perimeter-based game and, and, and uh, you know, even fours becoming fives and these sorts of ideas. Maybe Larry Markman eventually does sort of move into that center position. Um, so maybe that's gives me some pause about taking Jaron Jackson Jr., but I'm not necessarily convinced at the moment about Trey Young and Colin Sexton. So it'll be be an interesting one. Obviously, it's still, you know, we're still only halfway through the college season or thereabouts. So there's still a lot of basketball still to be played. But I guess my point is that there is still a lot of options here for the Bulls in terms of why tanking out this season makes sense. So I'm assuming you're looking long term like I am and thinking the best the best cause here for the Bulls is to be uh is to be pushing for that top four to five pick. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um you <laughs> you look at the record of this team in free agency and it is definitely not great. I actually think it's kinda of interesting. I wanna ask you this question. You know, Demarcus Cousins has been one of these targets that Bulls fans have really been eyeing. Uh, the Bulls have a history of taking guys um with injury history. Do you think that they should go after him now that maybe the Pelicans might cool on him after this Achilles injury that has been very devastating for a number of NBA players? So, I mean, maybe maybe they let him walk in free agency. Yeah, I mean, it's an int- his, his free agency is going to be super interesting now that I guess no team will really get a look at him post-injury before free agency, I guess. So he's going to be out six to ten months at least. So it will, I, he won't be playing basketball again before he signs his next contract. So... I think just generally thinking about DeMarcus Cousins as a free agent, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens, what his value will be. I think there probably wasn't going to be a ton of suitors for him in terms of max deals. 
But obviously the Bulls are one of those teams that do have max space available. But even prior to the injury, I wasn't very bullish on the idea of adding someone like DeMarcus Cousins to this young core. And that's not necessarily more to do with his skill set. I think DeMarcus Cousins and who he is as a player, I think could fit really could fit well. It wouldn't be the perfect fit under Hoyball. But um, I think there would be a fit for him from his skills perspective. But I just don't like the idea of adding someone like DeMarcus Cousins to a young rebuilding team. And, and if we think about the type of player he's, he's been and, and the you know the locker room issues that may or may not exist with adding DeMarcus Cousins to that young core, I don't necessarily want to see someone like him plodding along at center and not getting back on defense and the issues that may cause. And when you combine him and Levine and... You know, if I was an opposing coach, I'd just be running pick and rolls at Levine and, and Cousins all day and, and just trying to exploit that matchup. And, and that could be a real problem now after the Achilles injury. So we don't know what he's going to look like after that injury. And I wouldn't be interested in paying big dollars in a guy like DeMarcus Cousins. And how do you feel about that, though? I would love if the Bulls signed DeMarcus Cousins just for one reason. And that would yeah. be, it would be hilarious to see him and Hoiberg interacting and him and John Paxson. I mean, I can't even imagine like how many good stories uh, we would get out of that. Well, I mean, part of the reason why I think why Hoiberg has had a successful third season to date is the fact that he's had, he hasn't had that, I guess, hanging over him. The fact that he's had to manage any egos. There really is no egos, egos on his team at all. They're all young guys trying to prove themselves. They're probably all coachable and, and wanting to establish themselves in this league. And even the vets on this team, they're not you know, high volume guys that need to get shots. If you know, you look at Robin Lopez, he's the ultimate leader. He's probably the the um the leader amongst the veterans out there. So Hoiberg hasn't really had to deal with any, I guess, egomaniacs in in the locker room, which I guess you you could probably say he had to in, in his first two seasons with the Bulls. And I kind of I don't want to throw that back at, at him just yet. I don't think he's uh, matured as a coach at this point to be able to deal with someone like Demarcus Cousins. If he can't click with Jimmy Butler and and even Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade and these sorts of level of of players, I don't see how it's possible that he could probably create a, a fruitful relationship with someone as uh, temperamental as De- DeMarcus Cousins. Well, yeah, that would, that would be the fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the other fun thing about signing DeMarcus Cousins would be it would force Neil Funk to sort of have to talk positively about DeMarcus Cousins for a change. So every time the Bulls play against Cousins, whether it was against the Kings or now the Pelicans, they've they've often been uh, quite critical about him so it, it would be funny to see them have to sort of backtrack on all the the negativity negativity they've sort of sprouted along the way there when um they've been calling against him but i mean they're not they're not good enough reasons even, even though they would be humorous to to go after him then they're not necessarily uh good enough reasons for me but um yeah it's it's it's, it's a shame to see what happened to Demarcus Cousins but in a sick sort of way, it does present an opportunity for the Bulls, as we sort of mentioned before. So we'll see what happens on, on that front. But um, the final thing I want to talk to talk to you about, and and it sort of relates to a piece that Ricky O'Donnell just sort of put up there on Bloggable recently, is, is Larry Markin and just Bulls fans' general perception of Larry Markin. And I, I sort of feel we're not talking enough about this guy do you sort of do you sort of agree with with that with, with me on that? Maybe it's just this rookie class and how good this rookie class has been. But Larry Markin has been so damn good for the Bulls as a rookie, and and I still feel we're not talking anywhere near enough uh, about how good he has been. 
I mean, uh, I definitely agree with you that he has been remarkable, way, way better than I thought he would be. And what I enjoy, and Ricky has stated this too, is uh, he just shows you something new all the time. I mean, you have to tune into these games because you don't know if you're going to see him throw like an 80-foot dime pass. You don't know if you're going to see him play point guard and like be the best point guard as he was against the Lakers, which is crazy to think about. Uh, yeah, like he he had a bunch of big blocks in the last week too. So every single game, I'm just so excited to see what new as uh, aspect of uh, his game he's going to show off. Yeah, and to your point against against the uh, the Pelicans, he he set a career high in rebounds. So he didn't have a, an effective offensive game. He wasn't shooting efficiently. Didn't make a three in that game, but he still found a way to contribute. He he managed to get fourteen points, but more importantly, he got on the rebound on on the boards there, and he pulled down seventeen rebounds. So that's something to your point that we probably didn't expect from Mark, and then the fact that he's going to be someone that could really rip down seventeen rebounds. Rebounding was something that was questioned about him coming into the league. Obviously, we've seen in the last week or two, him instead of just making threes, he's been dunking on everyone and. That again, show, showing off that sort of athleticism and that ability to work off ball. They're not necessarily things we thought about Larry Markman. But in watching this Lakers game and, and him not necessarily getting the ball, I was sort of just wondering how good he would be playing with an actual competent point guard. And there was a possession there in the third quarter, I believe, where he had switched onto, uh, I think it was Caruso, the Lakers point guard. It may, it may have been, maybe maybe it was another point guard, but I've got Caruso in my mind. But Lowry switched onto him. And for whatever reason, the Bulls just couldn't get him the ball into inside into the paint. And, and Lowry, I guess, isn't the best isolation scorer at this point. So even if they did find him, it's not necessarily a guarantee that he would have scored. But I, like, he's been so effective as this... Uh, I won't say this lead option for the Bulls, but he's been so effective in his rookie year and he's been doing this playing with a team that for a lot of the year hasn't necessarily had good point guard play. So I sit here and I watch him and I wonder how good he will eventually be when when he's actually playing with some capable talent. And uh, I don't know how you feel about him moving forward or where you see his ceiling for moving forward. But to me, um, the more I watch him, the more I'm convinced at minimum that this guy could be a high level second option on a on a championship level caliber team. I think that he has all star potential. I think you're right that he's being held back a lot by the point guards. If you watch the games, if you just like uh, spot shadow him during the games, you'll see that he's open quite often where they completely yeah. miss him. And it's not just him. I mean, it's everybody on the team. Like Cristiano Felicio, the, a large part of his regression is because the point guards can't find him on lobs. That was like most of his offense last year with Wade and Rondo. And you see him go down to the G League affiliate and tear it up uh, because they actually pass him the ball down there. So when he gets a real point guard on the team, I mean, I don't mean this as a slight at Dunn because Dunn has been great, but when he gets like a very, um, a better point guard with better vision and more willing passing, then he is going to look so great in this system. Yeah, I, I agree one hundred percent. And and against the Lakers, Larry had the double double, the eleven points and the eleven rebounds. But of those eleven points, six of those came on back to back possessions. I think in the second quarter, where he hit back to back three pointers. And before that, the Bulls weren't really actively looking for him. And then thereafter, they pretty much ignored him as well. So he hit back to back threes, and I'm not sure he took another shot in that quarter. Certainly didn't feel like it when I was watching it back that he got more of, more of a chance there. But he only had the ten shots in thirty minutes, but. Uh, yeah, when I watch this guy play and when I think about, I guess I, I refer to Bulls Twitter, but when I just think about Bulls fans in general, 
And they're obviously very bullish about Larry Markin and they're talking him up. But even when I think league-wide, I don't necessarily think he's getting the respect he deserves and just how good he has been. But every time I watch this guy play, more and more I get excited about him. And um, I just wanted to put that on the agenda because I think... You know, for the second half of this season, I think we really start need to start beating this drum a little bit more about just how good this guy has been and how much he is shattering our expectations. So, in reading that that piece from Ricky, um, I thought it was quite timely. So I just wanted to put that on the agenda as well. But look, I know you've got to go, and um, I appreciate you jumping on this podcast and joining me. It's um, it was a fun talk for me, and hopefully we can do it again. Um, going forward, I, I'll hopefully won't wait twenty episodes next time to uh to get you on the podcast. <laughs> well overdue. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, anytime you want to have me on, yeah, it's actually funny that you had me on like right after uh, Fred and Doug Tonus, who are great uh, follows and huge Bulls optimists. You have like the one of the most pessimistic writers out there, so it's a good contrast. <laughs> Well, you, you, I need that balance, but um, that, that's important. But um, I definitely need that balance after Fred, that's for sure. But um, tell everyone where they can follow your work and, and where they can follow you on Twitter as well. Yeah, so I live tweet a lot of the games, and then you can just follow me generally at Stephno, S-T-E-P-H-N-O-H. You can read my stuff for The Athletic. Uh, we have some great Bulls writers there, me, Will Gottlieb, and Darnell Mayberry. So definitely uh, check that site out when you get the chance. Yeah, and, and I would uh, certainly recommend that. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a uh, subscriber there. And definitely The Athletic is the best Bulls content online. So if you haven't already done so, definitely subscribe to The Athletic. So Stefan, appreciate you coming on, mate. Oh, yeah, anytime. All right, so that pretty much wraps up this week of Bulls HQ. Appreciate everyone for joining me this week. I've been saying it every episode when I've been closing this podcast, but Hopefully there is a Miritich trade this week and if you are a pro tanker like me, hopefully the Bulls are able to secure that first round pick this for this draft coming up for Miritich. So we'll see if that happens again this week. But um, I guess the positive is there's only probably two more episodes where I can actually close with this sort of uh, this rhetoric. Uh, eventually the, the, the trade deadline will come and hopefully at some point that Bulls will make a decision on Miritich, but um, we'll see what happens in this week of Bulls basketball. A few road games coming up. The Bulls will be starting a little bit of a mini West Coast trip, I guess, soon after this Bucks game. So the Bulls will have three games against the Portland Trail Blazers, the Sacramento Kings, and the Los Angeles Clippers. So two teams there that have winning records. The Kings, obviously one of the worst teams in the league. So if you're a pro tanker like me, there's there's a good opportunity here for the Bulls to maybe drop a couple to some playoff-bound teams, and they should beat the Sacramento Kings. But they're the last three games prior to the trade deadline, so three games will be critical in the tank race, but it may also be critical in terms of determining what the roster will be post this trade deadline. So again, thank you all for joining me, and I'll be back next week. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. 
Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.